Welcome to Insights into Action from KPMG, where we bring together business professionals and specialists from KPMG and beyond. In each episode, we'll delve into real-world stories and share unique insights that provide tangible actions that will benefit your business and help you navigate today's challenges and tomorrow's opportunities. Welcome to the Insights into Action podcast series. My name is Peter Liddell, and I lead KPMG's Global Operations Centre of Excellence. In this series of bite-side episodes, we explore the seven trends that we've identified will create both challenges and opportunities across global supply chains during 2023. We'll look at all issues from cybercrime right through to sustainability, and we'll be unpacking everything that our clients need to know to set themselves up for success. In today's episode, we're going to look at how the manufacturing footprint is rapidly changing shape and what this means for supply chain managers. Joining me today is Carve Tadjazada. Carve is a partner at KPMG in Germany and he's the consulting lead for value transformation. Carve has more than 20 years of industry experience and his work has taken him around the world where he's worked in more than 50 different countries. His expertise on global supply chain transformation is pretty much unrivaled. Welcome, Carve, and thanks for joining me. In general, how are you finding manufacturing? How are our global manufacturers feeling right now? Well, I think, Pete, the speed of change has never been around like this. When I remember five years ago, you would do little changes within the manufacturing, within one plant. But right now, what we're facing is a total change in footprints. Your default would not be China anymore, which was up until five years ago. But right now, the level of change we're seeing, I think I have not witnessed that up until three, four, five years ago. That's really interesting. And there is a couple of good surveys that highlight some of those shifts and certainly moves away from different countries in Asia, like China, but also others as well. So what are some of the top issues or maybe key questions that you're receiving from global manufacturers right now, Carve? Let me start with Europe, actually. For one, we have the problem with our energy costs. Energy costs are soaring. So... For our energy intensive sectors, we just have to find a way around it. And we're not fast enough in building a new energy infrastructure. So things like French shoring, like moving to the US is, you know, almost by force on the top of the agenda for European manufacturers. And then I remember I had a talk with a global automotive suppliers in, based in Germany, but global, and the person told me this is the end of globalization, literally. And I asked him, how do you mean that? Well, he said that just to give you an example. When we send a container from China to Europe or to America, the cost of the logistics is higher than the cost of the goods, which really makes it drastically clear that you can't just continue as you've been doing up until a few years ago. And with those sorts of extremely high logistics costs, it's just not sustainable in today's global marketplace. Correct. So you spoke about friendshoring, and we are hearing how global corporations that manufacturing is the heart of their industry are absolutely squeezed on resources and, like you called out, facing extremely high energy prices. So we're starting to see and read a lot about some of these transformative strategies, nearshoring, friendshoring, even onshoring, as viable options. Just how transformative can they be, Kabe? I think nearshoring is more than reality already. The last year, I started to work with an Austrian company. So they were about to triple their production. And they said, no way we can do that in Austria for cost reasons. So what we did was a global search of 20 countries. And then basically, we ended up building up a factory triple the size of their 
headquarter factory in Eastern Europe. Eastern Europe has become the nearshoring thing like never before. That's a great call out, Kaveh. So Eastern Europe, which of those countries are the most popular? Which of those are emerging? And what's the features of those countries as locations for manufacturing of the future? I think there are a few champions out there. Hungary is at the forefront. And also similarly, Poland. And I remember I had a talk with on a conference in Poland where they said, we are Germany, just a bit cheaper than you guys. So Poland is definitely very strong, not only for cost, but also for very, very highly skilled workforce. Interesting. I guess if I look at my part of the world, Asia Pacific, very similar. There is the, the rise of Vietnam, Indonesia, Malaysia. And to your point, some of those countries are offering capability, a skilled workforce, skilled manufacturing that's just as good as China. But to your point, much cheaper labor, much cheaper resources. So really making it a competitive environment in Asia Pacific for manufacturing. Absolutely. What about other regions? I'm just thinking laterally, right? Because there's obviously we've covered Europe, Asia Pacific, but we've got the Americas, Africa. Are there equal shifts in those regions as well? Africa is being discussed big time for us. It's near us in Europe, at least, but it's not so much, except I would say a few places, you know, you've got a textile industry, Northern Africa. It's a low cost and it has been there for a couple of years already. But if you look at Mexico, that is a very serious location. And I remember talks with a large global automotive firm from Germany, where they were asking us, would it make sense to shift actually some of our production from the U.S. to Mexico? So it didn't happen, but I think Mexico has become very serious, not only for automotive, but also, for example, electronics or medical systems. I was speaking to a Japanese you know, industrial manufacturer only two or three weeks ago, and that they've set up a best-in-class plant in Mexico solely to ship directly into the U.S., so they won't do that from Japan anymore. So again, wind back 10, 15 years ago, would, would global leading manufacturers out of Japan, Korea, etc., consider setting operations outside of their country? Probably not. But with everything going on, geopolitics, cost of transport and logistics, we are starting to see these significant shifts from companies in countries that probably would decade ago, you'd never thought possible. That's true. And Peter, I think one other thing that I'm observing, you know, I remember in the good old time supply chain, you were always asked to reduce costs. That's what you'd be asked. But right now, most of, you know, big corp corporates we're working with are going for security and reliability first. Kave, we're starting to see different industry sectors transform and change. If I give one example, so retail, right? Online retailing has been around for a long time, but certainly with the pandemic, it was a rapid rise. And with that type of retailing, you end up with different packaging, different products, different offerings, right? But quite often it's a bundle package. It's not an individual product. Now, all these offerings to obviously increase customer sales and create that competitive advantage actually has an impact on manufacturers, right? Because the old manufacture one or two sizes and push it out to market doesn't work anymore. So how are global manufacturers setting themselves up to respond with huge opportunity in online retail, but it has significant impacts on manufacturing operations? Let me share an example for you. A very global French luxury cosmetics company. So it was actually in the middle of COVID where they said they want to increase their online share, you know, is something that maybe a pure play e-commerce have sold 10 years ago. So for example, one of the problems we had was not in manufacturing itself, but in the logistics towards the clients. So they would get massive complaints on their online channels because simply the clients were asking when 
will I receive what I ordered? They couldn't say that. But I think it's a huge opportunity for sure. That's it, no doubt about that. But I think the ones which are not pure play e-commerce, I think they are learning it the hard way. Yeah. We, we've seen the phenomenon in China, Japan, Korea, right? Even pre-pandemic, the rise of e-commerce was rapid. And for some brands in some of those countries, it was as high as 40, 50% of their sales were through e-com. But I was watching the challenges for their manufacturing operations because, as I mentioned, they were putting unique products through the online. They were changing packaging, product configuration, just to specialize through that channel. But the proliferation of their SKU base was huge for manufacturing, right? Because now the amount of packaging sizes, the amount of ingredients they had to store, the changes to their manufacturing shifts, it was huge. And they didn't realize the operational costs in manufacturing, in logistics, in holding additional raw materials, excessive SKUs in the sheds to then obviously get fulfilled ultimately through that online channel. So whilst it was a major growth story, a lot of them didn't get the profitability driven through business. Exactly. And Peter, you mentioned that packaging, it sounds like a very simple thing. Those who are not into supply chain would think, what well, packaging, what's well, a big deal? But if you look at it in a tiny example, just recent one in Europe, Brexit, Northern Ireland, we have a deal finally, that's a good thing for us and our friends in UK. For every good from UK to Northern Ireland, which is meant for Northern Ireland only, you need an own packaging and labeling. And that adds cost and complexity. Early on in our discussion, I think you gave an example, it was a medical industry, and that's another industry like retail, that if you look at uh, the pharmaceutical side, the medicinal side, right, personalized precision medicine is going to transform this sector. Now that has a massive implication on where to set up manufacturing operations, potentially the logistics that then sits around it. Just your perspectives on pharmaceutical life sciences companies need to think about the next decade as they start to invest in new manufacturing infrastructure. This is something that's coming up. It's not there at scale, but I am, as we speak in discussion with a very large global pharmaceutical company, and they're actually investing. They're building a plant, Greenfield in Germany for 275 billion euros. So it's a huge investment. And really what you mentioned, we have to really think through the whole thing. As if you were starting a new company, they've been in the business for a hundred years, but you go into these small lot sizes, you need a lot of agility in the very design of your production lines to begin with. Lot sizes, packaging, the speed of packaging, how you organize and how you manage, how you build a quality system for almost a totally different mindset of production. This is going to be almost as if you are starting to rethink your pharmaceutical manufacturing as a new thing, really. Yeah, one of the, and again, just staying on the medical pharmaceutical side or, or the healthcare ecosystem, because I've seen a few examples. I know there are other industries that are starting to play into this space, just if you're seeing this, but the use of metaverse as a tool to help supply chain managers plan. You, you spoke about greenfield operation. Are you starting to see any of them use this type of new capability in planning supply chains, manufacturing locations of the future before they actually turn dirt? Yeah, there are very exciting things happening. I'm not sure if you've heard about NVIDIA, a new platform. So I think at this phase, we are experimenting and playing around. But I think at the one use case that I see, basically when you can simulate your entire plant as if it was a real full digital twin of your entire plant, down to where you can simulate flow, the speed of flow and your expected quantity, that is super interesting. I think this one is one of the probably most exciting bets that companies are taking right now, but it's not mature yet, to be honest. Great. Yeah, couldn't agree more, Kaveds. Look, it feels like it's on the verge of potentially opening up. And again, hypothesize maybe in three to five years could be a great tool for supply chain planners, right? We're certainly seeing 
how some organizations are using it to help train new employees or people when it comes to maybe occupational health and safety risks, right? So you don't actually have to sit in the physical environment to be aware of the risks. You can use the metaverse to sit. But of course, on the flip side, there are still challenges because it is an emerging technology, right? If you're going to do it across multiple sites, you need to have sites that are connected with the same hardware. I might use a exactly. virtual reality kit that somebody else has a very different set. And right now it's just not working, right? You also need to be enabled by 5G or a really strong telco that enables that real-time data exchange as well. We probably need a few years of technology advancement before it really becomes a tool for the future. Kavana, we've covered a lot in this podcast. Maybe just to round out, would there be any other key considerations or advice that maybe we haven't covered off that we'd share with the global manufacturers or supply chain managers that have manufacturing operations that as they step into 2023 and they navigate these sort of choppy waters that you would offer that sort of advice or consideration that they should be thinking about as they plan for a successful 2023? I think one thing, it's really is my mind. And then I think what I tell my clients or my friends on my network, you know, we got to start to think in one, two, three scenarios. And because really we can't predict. I have been around the world in 50 countries, but I still, I won't know what's going to happen in a year and a half time. And so I think we should start to think in scenarios and then maybe even look out of your box. And if you are in medical system, don't look at medical system companies only. Just look at the different sectors. How are they dealing with similar or even harder challenges than you? I think that's been... Something I would advise all my friends out there in doing complex global supply chain, let's at least try to do a scenario thinking for the next year and a half. So we're at least prepared when things get even tougher than they are already right now. Thanks so much, Kaveh. I've really enjoyed today's discussion. You shared a lot of insights and I think it's been really valuable to hear your experience. And I'm sure those who are listening to the podcast would get a lot out of it. If you'd like to explore the impact of the evolving manufacturing footprint on supply chains in more detail, you can read our report, Supply Chain Trends, Shaking Up 2023, access via the link in the description. You'll also find an overview of the other trends that we've explored as part of this podcast series. You can certainly get in touch with myself or Carve directly should you have any further questions or would like to discuss how we can help you to navigate the challenges and explore the opportunities that come with ongoing change and disruption. Simply get in touch with us via the links in the report. You can listen right now to our other episodes discussing the 2023 supply chain trends wherever you get your podcasts. But for now, thanks Carve. Once again, really appreciate it. And thanks to all of you for listening in. We'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to this episode of Insights Into Action. Please visit our website for more advisory insights and all the other episodes in the series. Make sure to subscribe through your podcast provider so you're alerted for any new episodes and check out the other podcasts available from KPMG. Thank you and see you next time.